This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. My chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers. To hear their stories, what inspired their creations, what decisions changed their careers, what relationships influenced their work. We had so much laughter in our house. You know, despite any, any dysfunction as any family, we always laugh. I also feel like you want someone who you can be not great around. Meaning, I want to be able to be kind of boring sometimes or say something dumb and it's okay. My guests today are two brilliant comedians, one an actor, the other a writer. Both have made millions of people laugh, and both have done so from the show that has launched more comedians than any other. It's Saturday Night Live! Writer Paul Appel and actor Fred Armisen took unusual paths to SNL. When Pell got the call that executive producer Lorne Michaels wanted to meet her, she'd been working at an amusement park in Florida one with uniquely nighttime amusements. Pleasure Island. Welcome. Come. Mickey has no pants on. <laughs> Before Armisen was added to SNL's cast in 2002, he had spent over a decade behind a drum set professionally. Eventually, SNL hired Armisen, my first guest this hour, to play something else. On my first day in office, I said I'd close Guantanamo Bay. Armisen has added to the show's distinctive line of oddly perfect presidential impressions. He's also nailed such disparate characters as Larry King, Steve Jobs, and Prince. Attention, sexy passengers. This groove jet's about to take off, so please direct your attention to my co-host, Miss Beyonce. No. Fred Armisen grew up in Valley Stream, Long Island, with a Venezuelan mother and a German-Japanese father. My mom really loved Saturday Night Live. She did? She loved it. She, I remember her talking about Chevy Chase, and she would say, like, Oh, Chevy Chase, he's so funny. You just look at his face and you want to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and that made a huge impression on me. And, and even as a, as a kid, I thought, yeah, that, what is that? Like, a guy who 
just from looking at him right away. You know, it was, he does it was nothing and you true. burst out laughing. Yeah. Armisen is also co-creator of Portlandia, a playfully subversive sketch comedy show on IFC in which he co-stars with musician Carrie Brownstein. I did read that. Do you hear the thing of McSweeney's? Mm. I was comparing CD tracks and album tracks. Did you read that? Yeah. Did you read that thing in Mother Jones about eco-chairs and eco-ways to sit? I did. Yeah. I did. Did you read that thing in Spain about all the festivals? Uh-huh. Armisen's own musical roots run deep. He spent most of his 20s touring with his punk rock band, Trenchmouth. I worked so hard on that band. We were in the van, we toured, 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 booking toured, places, toured, booking places, bars, booking, clubs, booking, booking, booking. And just trying to get slots in clubs yeah. over what area? The, the just whole the United States and Canada. And you were offloading and reloading your own equipment, you yeah. were your own roadies. Absolutely. We didn't bring any extra people to save money. Up and downstairs, drums, cymbals, amps. If it was a local show, flyers, records, getting them out to people, getting them out to radio stations. It was nonstop. Was it successful? It depends how you look at That's it. That's what I'm saying. I want to know your definition. By My your definition, definition, played in Europe, played in the States. So absolutely, that all that stuff was like, that's a success. Was it what I wanted? I wanted much more. You did? Much more. Why, why, why? This is going to sound... I'll just be honest about what I wanted, but I wanted to be as big as the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I was like, God, they're huge. They're huge. We can do it. So because we never attained that, and I would see bands from Chicago kind of swoop right by us, I saw it as not a success. And that's what kind of got me into doing comedy. In 1998, Armisen went to Austin, Texas for the South by Southwest Music Festival. Along with his drums, he brought a video camera. Somehow, uh, I got it in my head to interview people do different characters. You're down there, and the, and the whole uh, the whole experience down there was a musical one, but yeah. you start doing funny stuff. And I don't even know why I did it. That tape, this is 1998, sort of made the rounds. They, they wrote about it in this local Chicago paper, and then I showed it at a club there that I used to play in Trenchmouth at this club. As many people turned out for that, it was with the band. The reaction was greater than when I was in a band. On that night, I thought, oh, this might be a way to go. I'm here with the Aluminum Group. I just wanted to know from you guys, who thought up the name of the band? And I don't mean like originally. I mean like who was the person who decided that that was going to be the name? And what record label are you on? Is it the same record label that you are on a couple years ago? Or is it one that's going to be different? And is it the one that's going to be on in, in Europe? Did everybody in Trenchmouth get really sad then? Did they know you were going to go? Um, Maybe. But they're my friends, so I think based, you know, they, had, they kept on going with another band. I called all of them, and they said they hate you, and they'll never oh, forget damn you. it. No. But hatred equals love. Yeah, it's the flip you know, side. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's still an emotion. It's still a warm emotion. They're not ignoring me. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then what happens after that? That's when I started doing comedy, and then— um, Doing comedy where? Um, I started traveling the country showing it in L.A., San Francisco, New York. So you took, made it into a stand-up act? Kind of. I would just, you know, they'd write something in the paper, and people came out in all these cities, and then I went to L.A. You played and clubs? It. Yeah. Comedy clubs? Um, rock clubs. Rock clubs. Yeah. Where there was no music? No music. Just showed this video and talked a little bit, and that's it. And How then, long were you on stage? I mean, total of like half an hour, 40 minutes really? or something. Really short. Just wow. a little a little. The people event. dug it. Absolutely. It's pre-internet. So right. showing a video was more of a, an event. More nouvelle. Yeah. There was no such thing as like sort of, why don't you just watch it online? Right. Um, 
And then someone from HBO was at one of the shows, and then I started doing these videos for HBO. And then I started making enough money that I didn't have to live in Chicago anymore. I was like, I can. I, I always wanted to live in L.A. I moved to L.A., and then I started doing stand-up like characters and stuff on stage. Where? There's this one club that I loved called Largo. I moved to L.A., and I just, I just wanted to fit in. You know, I was on my own, and I just wanted to perform there, and I would just do different Roll characters. Were your friends back in Chicago? Yeah. Did you make all new friends right away? Did you yeah. fall into the comedy world? Yeah, I did. I just wanted to be part of it, you know what I mean? So I think it was— And you were open to it? Yeah. And then I, I just— And who became your pals there in L.A.? Um, Paul F. Tompkins. Bob Odenkirk really helped me out right. a lot. He had a pilot for a show called Next, which had different characters, and it was a sort of variety show, and he got me onto the cast for that. And from that is where I had, like, all the— um, tape to submit to SNL. Hello, welcome to Focus on Talent. I am Gerhard Lipschitz, and today my very special guest is the wonderfully simple Ray Romano. Thank you so much for coming, this is really great. And you began in, in stand-up comedy, and so, and, and I think that your act was not so good, yes? I had enough tape to submit to SNL. My agents and managers sent it to them, and then I was on the cast in 2002. So you show up to New York to do the show. I flew in to do the auditions. You know, I was flipping out that I even got to do the auditions right. at all. That's a big thing. Yeah, I mean, I met Tina Fey for the first time, Lauren and— Tina was the head writer then? I believe so. I think her and Dennis McNicholas. I couldn't even believe I was in that studio. And then when you started, you were a featured player. Yeah. And then how many years did you, did you do that before you joined that was the like cast? two years. It was Will Forte and I. And was it frustrating to be a featured player? Because again, no, no, I'm, it wasn't. I'm fresh from carrying drums. I'm fresh from just doing stand up at Largo. So this is, this is I, I can't. There's a part of me that still is like, I can't believe it. A lot of people on the show don't sense that they leave and they don't realize how good they've had it. But it's, it's a good show. People who have left the show have told me, and I, I listen to them, and they say it's the best job I ever had. Yeah, it's going to be one of them. You know, you're not going to have that much freedom and that much right. variety. I always tell people, don't leave the show and become the thing you made fun of on the show. Right. You know, that's a real trap. Yeah. Because you're going to go out there and do other jobs. And yeah. One of the greatest risks in my mind is that people will characterize you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can see you doing a movie where you're with a really smart cast and a smart director, and you, like, lock everybody in the gymnasium and burn the gymnasium down to the ground. You could go <laughs> either way. Don't you think? Uh, I hope so. Do you I, want to do um, straight acting? Mm, that's tricky. Um... If, there, if, if there's a way to do it, it's tricky because I don't want to look like I'm unhappy with comedy. Right. I don't want to go out there and say, to, for lack of a better word, an audience like, hey, this is what I really do. However, I think these days there are roles that are both comedic and dramatic. Right. I like that that line is becoming blurry. So my answer is kind of like, uh, I think there's a way that Peter Sellers did it. It was was right. it comedy or was it not comedy? Somewhere in but there. But he occupies a very, very distinct place. I mean, yeah. You have comic actors yeah. who've made their reputation in comedic roles. Right. Who've tried to go over into dramatic films and it's worked to some degree or hasn't worked. You know, Billy Crystal and Robin Williams and so forth. Right. And I think you have a real opportunity, and it's never more vivid than it is in Portlandia, that you could go both ways and do the yeah. comic and the dramatic. Do you feel that way? Yes, because when we do the show, when we write the show, we don't always think about, like, what's the funniest thing. 
Right. I'm like, what What seems interesting to us? What? What's going to look nice? And if nice? the funny comes, it comes. Great. If it's not quite comedy, that's okay. Like, that's it's something else in between. Um, if there's anything that you've done, then we won't do it. Okay, I get it. This is like a cool wedding. But also, it doesn't come across as cool. We don't want anything that reads as wedding. Okay. We're not marionettes getting up at the same time and dancing to and fro. Uh, there's a 60% divorce rate, and I think that that should be in the forefront of people's minds at this wedding. The other it. voice that's you're hearing, that's Carrie Brownstein. She co-created Portlandia with Armisen. Before Portlandia, they made a series of videos as the sketch comedy duo Thunder Ant. Carrie met Fred in 2003, late one night after an SNL show. Her band was like my favorite band, this band Slater Kinney. I became friendly with them. We just had a lot of mutual friends. They came to New York to play. I just invited them to come to the show. They had a show that night, so they came to the after party, and I met Carrie there. And it was the strangest thing. Carrie and I just became instant friends. Mm -hmm. That happens. And she knew who you were from the TV show? Yeah, fully. It just worked out. You clicked. Yeah, ever since then. And uh, we just made these videos. I'd go to Portland. It was like the equivalent of jamming, you know? Yeah. So instead of doing that, which is just like, so what? You know, like, hey, we have this band. We just thought, let's make these videos. There was no pressure on it. It was just like, let's just you make just erase it if you didn't like it. Yeah, for no reason. Let's just come up with characters. Let's make these tapes. And then we did. And then we had just all these videos on this website. Now, if I remember reading that you did about a dozen of them, correct? Yeah, that's about right. And then, then we just had enough to pitch a TV show. And then how does Portlandia become a show? Who buys the show? Um, it was a, a kind of a thing where I was just talking to my manager. What do you want to do next? What's something you want to work on? I thought, let's just turn it, see if we can turn it into something. And then Carrie and I just thought, yeah, let's, let's pitch it. We already Was she ha- ready for that? Does she want that? Yeah. She seems like somebody who lived in Portland and lived on the fringe and was yeah. very, very talented deliberately. Yes. That she didn't want to be mainstream successful. Um, I think she just likes doing it. Right. So uh, she, she does what she wants. She's a perfect mix of like she just enjoys, you know, performing and isn't like so crazy ambitious that she's like, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? She's very like, let's work on some projects. And a lot of it's our friendship. We just like working together. Uh, and then we pitched it to um, Broadway Video, to you know, Lauren. And as a group, we pitched it to IFC. They uh, said, go ahead and do a pilot, which we did. And then next thing we knew, we're doing the show. And you shoot the show in Portland, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And when you go there, I'm assuming, to start the show, you'd never lived there before. No, but I'd gone there so you much. You had, because you'd spent so much time. So you knew what this Portland head was that oh, you wanted yeah. to comment I mean, on. It, 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 that's what also got us to doing the show there. I mean, like, I, I would visit Carrie all the time. I'd shoot yeah. Thunder Ant. For years I've been going there. And she'd lived there for how long? Um, Forever. For a while. I think she's, she's originally from Washington State, and then she moved to Portland, whatever, you know, right. 10 years ago or something. So what is your experience being in Portland? Do people say stuff to you all the time oh, at the yeah, show? They yeah. just love it. They're so nice about it. <laughs> and and I really like it there. You know, I'm I'm a city guy. I'm from New York and and I still love it there. It's smaller, but it's still it's still a city and clean and nice and it's good food civil. everywhere. Really civil, really just physically pretty. And and kind of overcast, which I really like. Do you develop films now? Do you write films at all for yourself? I've started to. Yeah, you've got a good I've idea. started to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like when I, when I try to write something for myself, it, it ends up in TV form, but still, I want to try to expand that. You would never do a TV series? Um, I'd do, I would do anything. Anything that seems interesting, I would, I would do. Anything that seems like uh, something, you know, good to be part of. So when you sign a contract, 
like with Broadway Video, and yeah. for those people who don't know this, that's Lauren's company, right. his production arm. And you have to deliver how many episodes? Ten. You just first, do ten. First one was six. Second was ten. This one's going to be ten also. So this one's going to be ten. Ten's a lot. What do you do for fun? I, I just work all the time. All you do is work. Yeah. Because that's what you wanted. Yeah. This past season was Fred Armisen's 11th and final year on SNL, where he's performed alongside the biggest stars in the business. But Fred can still get starstruck, like when he met Steve Martin. It's, it's even weird talking about it because I feel like I know him somewhat. Yeah, sure. But uh, the experience is greater than I ever thought it would be. Right. And then on top of it, the way he's just the way he is. You know, that's part of the thing, the, the, seeing how people are as people. That's another nice surprise. Coming up, we'll meet Paula Pell, a longtime writer on SNL, who Fred Armisen has called a true genius, one of the funniest people he's ever met. I'm Alec Baldwin, and here's the thing. Take a listen to our archive. More in-depth conversations with artists, policymakers, and performers, people like Lena Dunham, who agrees with Armisen. Paula Pell is funny. Paula Pell is someone who's funny and not mean. Yeah. Paula Pell's she's like... She's mean to the right people. She's just a dreamy person. Take a listen to my conversations with Dunham, Lorne Michaels, and Kristen Wiig. I don't remember what I said. At heresthething.org. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Departing SNL cast members are generally expected to springboard into a career in film. Maybe it's the punk rocker in him, but Fred Armisen doesn't seem entirely at home with that tradition. Someday, want to invent a type of entertainment that isn't is is really blurry between comedy and something else that doesn't have a name yet. But I do want to see if there's another way to another level of um, fooling people as opposed to just doing a character, something a little bigger than that. And I don't know quite how to do it yet. But uh, do you think being famous has killed that opportunity for you personally? Sometimes. So that someone you'd have to get someone else to do it. Maybe, you'd have to yeah. write and produce that. Yeah, and because you couldn't do that. Yeah, because the minute you show up, they know something's going on. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you find that? Do you find that when you walk up to people, automatically, like someone once said something to me, they said to me, "You're you're at a wonderful place, which is also a terrible place. Yeah, that place where people are going to laugh at you whether you're funny or not." And right. he meant it as a dig. Yeah. Do you find that's true with you that wherever you go, people are predisposed to you saying something? Yeah, or if I do like a, a stand-up show somewhere, I find that I want to put more effort into it, but sometimes I don't really have to. Right. So that might not be a good thing. Right. You know, so, um, What about in your personal life? How has your personal life changed as a result of being famous? Um, it's everything I ever wanted, but there are some things about it that are just very new and just very interesting. You know, like... I love New York. I love riding on the subway. My subway rides aren't as private as they used to be. That's when I start trying to think of ideas. I listen to music. And that's just different now. And people say things to you. Yeah. Perfectly nice. Perfectly nice. I would have done the same had I met whoever. But that's that's changed. It's like a different kind of subway ride. What about your relationship with your family, your friends? I mean, do you still have the same friends? Yeah, kind of. But I've grown, you know, gotten new friends, you, you, obviously. You another, new but circles of friends new come with each friends, but ladder you go up. Yes. But I've maintained my friendships with the guys in the old band. and Odenkirk? Have, yeah, absolutely. He's in L.A., though, right? Yeah. We just text each other. and Yeah. So I, I do uh, maintain relationships with these. Even if, I'm, if, if we're both busy, Paul F. Tompkins, uh, whoever, I still try to keep those alive. This is the last thing I want to say to you, which is— You could say a million things to me. Well, but I'm saying that uh, without getting too personal, you've been married twice. Yeah. And you find you were married twice, correct? That's correct. And and the first one was in Chicago before I was doing comedy. And that's someone who I'm still friends with, um, Sally. That was during the music days. Yes, yeah. The Keith Moon days. Yeah. And then you were married the second time. Yes. But would you say that, like, from things I've read, you find that because of what you crave and what you love— you speak very lovingly about Carrie and how you and she are just friends. Yeah. But she's like your, you know, she's your, like, last text of the day. Yeah. Do you think that she's kind of your soulmate? Without a doubt. It's all the things that I've ever wanted, you know, aside from, like, the physical stuff. Right. But um, the the intimacy that I have with her is, like, no other. Like, it's something that, and it's only, it's taken me a while to realize, I'm like, wait a minute, I am super, super close with her. I mean, we work all day together on Portlandia, and then we hang out afterwards. Yeah, I mean, what is that? Because people don't understand in this business how important that is. Like, do yeah. you have to be, it depends on who the person is. Yeah. I also feel like you want someone who you can be 
not great around, meaning, you know, like, right. like I, I, want, I want to be able to be kind of boring sometimes or say something dumb and it's okay. Yeah. That pressure is – I like that pressure not to be there, to have to be super funny and intelligent all the time. It's nice yeah. when – I, like, not just, that competitive. Yeah, where I'm just like— but the comedy world is very competitive, isn't it? I guess. I haven't walked into that too much. Right. I wasn't part of a comedy troupe or anything, and so— And the stand-ups I've become friends with have all been very, you know, supportive. Definitely. Portlandia Season 3 is now available on DVD. It enters its fourth season on IFC early next year. Fred, call me. Can I play a customer in Portlandia? Can I come to a restaurant? Anytime. Can I come and just do something? Can I Any- order a... Who would I play and what would I order? Um, I think you would uh, uh, come from Southern California and you'd order all kinds of meats. A meat aficionado. People think of it as a veggie place, but it's actually a very meaty place. They're no. very into- Yeah, it's very like cured meats and sausages. They're, but we haven't explored that that much. Maybe I could be a meat salesman. Yeah, even better. Maybe I could be a meat salesman. All even kinds better. of charts and graphs of the loins and pictures of the sections of the pig and the cow and the organs and the pig <laughs> I lo- salesman. Yeah, I love it. And the answer is yes. Right. Anytime. I'll come see you in Portland. Yeah. If Fred invites me, I'll do it. And most likely, I'll do SNL the next time Lorne Michaels calls. And that's due in large part to the brilliant writing of my next guest. Not long ago, there used to be two types of comedians. Comedians and female comedians. Today, there are so many women making us laugh that the qualifier has been rendered obsolete. Saturday Night Live deserves a lot of the credit for this development. The show has introduced us to Gilda Radner, Jan Hooks, Maya Rudolph, Tina Fey, and Kristen Wiig, to name just a few. But there's been another woman at SNL, a woman who's been quietly working for nearly two decades, often without sleeping, to usher in this reality. 17 years I've been there, yep. Paula Pell was working at a Florida theme park when she got her dream job as a writer at Saturday Night Live. Over the years, her sketches have ranged from Bobby and Marty and Debbie Downer to a personal favorite of mine, The Tony Bennett Show. I love things that are great. And things are fantastic. Guess what? We got a date, just a talk show. Nothing drastic, but one thing for sure. I love things that are great. Tina Fey wrote in her memoir that one of her prouder moments as head writer at SNL was fighting for one of Pell's sketches. Introducing Kotex Classic. Classic Kotex is a commercial for the feminine protection of yesteryear, featuring sexy women proudly encumbered with bulky pads connected to belts peeking out over their clothes. I always know it's there. You can't beat the original. Them girls old school. Paul Appel, in person, is genuine, charming, and easygoing. The kind of person you might actually talk to if you sat next to her on a plane. 
which is not a description of your typical comedy writer. I was always a bit of a class clown. I was I was a good Catholic girl, so I always wanted to be, I never wanted to get in trouble, but I really pushed the envelope because I would be funny <laughs> in class, and I'd do things like one of my teachers, I would um, do a bit where I would go by him and drag my hand along the chalk line, you know, the chalk shelf, right. and then I'd come over and I'd say, you know, Mr. Gersh, you're just a really great teacher, and I'd pat him on the back and I'd leave like a handprint. <laughs> he'd let me make him a little bit the fool for a moment, yeah. and then he'd do, you know, he looked like Rob Reiner and All in the Family. He had the big bushy mustache and the long right. hair. He and played he, along. He just kind of looked to camera three, you know, non-existent. <laughs> and the audience would, you know, the audience, the class sure. would, would crack up, or I'd pass notes and say, when I sneeze, because I have a really good fake sneeze, and I would say, when I sneeze, everybody fall off their chairs. <laughs> and, you know, I'd always be doing something, but I grew up with an extremely funny dad, and my mom is What did he do for funny. a living? He worked for Illinois Bell. We grew up in Illinois and then moved to Orlando when I was a teenager. But my entire childhood, my grandpa was a, a watchmaker for West Clocks. So my dad always learned that from my grandpa. And then when he came to Florida, he worked for AT&T for many years. And then when he retired, he became a teacher of watch repair, watchmaking, all, all of it. So how does the guy who works for the phone company and how does he – and he becomes – a watch tinkerer. How was the funny in his life? Was well, it at he's, home? He's just ungodly witty. He's he's really. Uh, but never wanted to be in the business himself. Or did he express? I to mean, you that he, he probably did? did. But you know, I look at all the people in my family and all the relatives of different generations, and they all had their thing. You know, my mom has a beautiful singing voice. They all had something that they wanted to do. But the way they grew up was you just. You know, you have kids early, and you you kind of figure out what you need to do to to pay for that. And so they, you know, a lot of times didn't have the luxury that kids have now, even though it's hard to get a job, to say, you know, oh, I'm doing this. And I'm getting a degree in this. what was wrong with you, Paula, that you didn't sign on to that program? What was wrong with you? <laughs> well, I— That they, you wouldn't they, just do what you were supposed to do. They knew that I was pretty hopeless. I mean, at my <laughs> confirmation, where you get the Holy Spirit, yeah. I came down the stairs at my party and had torn, like, 80 holes in my pantyhose and said I had the Holy Spirit. <laughs> And just would do things like that all the time, you know. And this was before I drank or smoked anything. Yeah. But, um, no, I was always a total ham, but my dad really taught me that. He will just do a bit that will just have us crank. And um, I will tell you that one of the hardest times I laughed at him is my mom and I were watching Die Hard on television. My dad's cutting the yard, and he's outside cutting the yard. He's got his little jean shorts on and his tank top, and he keeps coming in and walking by and kind of half listening. He's a really good, quiet half listener, but then he'll do something based on what he's been listening to. I, you know, was listening to my mom, and, and the the terrorist had the long blonde hair, you know, the big, like, kind of Nordic guy at the beginning. Yeah, the ballet dancer. Yeah, and my mom says, you know, I don't know, but I don't like long hair, but that is pretty foxy, and she's, like, commenting on him. <laughs> So we're laughing about it and everything. And then, I'm not kidding, like an hour later, my dad just walked through. He had gone in my room and gotten a wig, put a long wig on with just his grass-cutting stuff and just walked through. He didn't stop. He didn't do a bit. He just walked through. But they also knew that rule, like the, you keep the ball in the air and play along. They were good Yes. Without the, the training, they were good improv people. Oh, yeah. The answer's he, always he's yes. He's the king of, like, a prop. And what I love about it is my parents are in their 70s now, and, you know, and my mom was always like, you'd say, you know, you go, oh, God, Dad is so funny. And she goes, thank God. Thank God he's funny. 
we had so much laughter in our house, you know, despite any any dysfunction as any family, we always laugh. You where, know? Did you, where did you go to college? I went to college at University of Tennessee. I first went to a local college in Orlando, a community college for two years. So you, you moved to Florida. I moved to Florida. My dad went down for AT&T for that antitrust suit that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, when they he, broke up the, the phone system. Yeah, it was like seven, late 70s. 70s. You know, we had gone a few times down to Disney World with our little pop-up camper, and, like, that was a vacation place. That wasn't a place you move. And my parents sent us a little—brought back a little Polaroid of the house they bought, and it was, you know, about $70,000, but it had this gigantic pool because in Orlando, so many people have pools, even with, you know, inexpensive houses. And we just thought we won the lottery. You know, it was just insane. But we got there, and it was really hard the first year. How so? I just never liked to be— I mean, I think being new is a very important thing to do for, for growth. I think it really galvanizes a lot of stuff inside you of who you are and everything. And I'm glad in hindsight, but I used to just wake up in the morning and just cry. And, you know, just because I had so much familiarity and comfort with all the kids that I went to school with, it's just I was always quiet at first, you know. And then by my senior year, I got really involved in school and the girls, you know, would go, because I remember when you'd come in, you know, you came in your junior year, and I'd say, oh, really? Really? Because I came in my sophomore year and sat next to you for an entire class, right. and you were, you know, a cold right. little asswipe to me. But, you know, that's <laughs> right now. We're friends. And-, and what was the difference for you in terms of the people, if you can, if you can characterize? Well, I mean, from Illinois to Florida. I mean, Florida, well, I'm the sure, biggest, was a lot different. I mean, one thing that really helped me was I was always – I always sang. So I went in immediately into a concert choir. And so that was wonderful because then I had a social group pretty quickly. But the one thing about Florida that was so different that freaked me out was – that, you know, I never thought I was growing up in Illinois in necessarily, a, I mean, a cold sort of atmosphere. It was emotionally warm. I had great friends. I, you know, my family warm. But when I got to Florida, everybody hugged constantly. Really? I would have thought it was the other way Everyone was funny? so affectionate in such a crazy way that I remember saying, it's— Take I remember, your hands off I me. I remember coming home and going— Stop cupping my nipples, uh, tenor. I don't know you in the choir. No, but people would um, – I kept thinking it was the, our director's birthday or something. I was like, what the hell is going on in here? Everyone is hugging yeah. our teacher, hugging each other. I realized it was just – that was just the way everyone did, you know. And then my girl – my um, who eventually became my girlfriend of many years, was my best friend in high school. And we were very huggy, and that all worked out. <laughs> yeah. it was like, as long as it's the right person, not no, the teacher. Not until after we graduated, Exactly. Then, then you went to the college down there? I went to the college for two years down there. And, it and was studied a, what? Um, well, their theater department was amazing. Their art department was incredible, and I was a, also an artist. What was it called Seminole State? Seminole Community College. But, uh, I mean, the heads of those departments and the music department were so incredible that today they still are some of my, you know, favorite people that have, I've ever to gotten taught. Um, because my art professor, Grady Kimsey, who I'm a really good friend with still, he had gone to UT years and years ago, and he— just kept saying, you got to go check out UT. And then my girlfriend was going to North Carolina, so it kind of, you know, I'd go up and visit, and I'd never been up in those mountains, and I just fell in love with it Did up you? there because I'm such a nature freak, and, yeah, I went crazy for it. And when you left there, what happened? And then I, I finished college, and I came home, and I worked at the theme parks. What's that like? How do you get the job at Disney? Like, who's— is there somebody who's like a casting person, well, a talent cool, director? Yeah, there's talent people. And, you know, I had worked with a, an improv group called SAC Theater in Orlando. 
they at the time contracted out to Disney. So they did all the like in Epcot in Italy, the Commedia dell'arte, you know, they would do all the comedy that's kind of the roaming atmospheric comedy. And then they built Pleasure Island, which was the nighttime Disney, you know, all the nightclubs. Pleasure Island. Pleasure Island. Welcome. Come. Mickey has no pants on. (laughs) It was New Year's Eve every night. Mickey slipped your roofie. (laughs) Pleasure Island. An entire island they built that had all these clubs. They had like a big discotheque. They had a country western sort of music club. It was just kind of like a strip of nighttime establishments, but all in Disney. But it was late night. And they kind were, of a downtown feel, like a yeah, cluster, like yeah. South Street Seaport. And they would towns, have they like New Year's Eve every night. So the, <laughs> they'd have dancers come out and they'd dance. And it was really a fabulous place to work as a young actor because it felt – cool and I could and I did a lot of improvisation but then we also did like radio shows and singing we could be kind of dirty I mean it wasn't filthy I didn't I didn't go full tilt my typical filth yeah. that you know of yeah you very didn't well. pal out I didn't pal out <laughs> <laughs> but you would interact with the guests so they're you know you'd be sitting there with some old British dude who's getting drunk and just get into a conversation and I played Pamelia Perkins the president of the Adventures <laughs> Club and it was kind of a Teddy Roosevelt era sort of place and I had this big bouffant and I could just be as bawdy as hell. I mean, I would get on guys' laps and, you know, have my legs up in the air because I was like a matron sort of character. And we used to have such a blast. Also, during that time, I went um, down Penis Avenue for about two years. (laughs) I was dating men for a little while, and I would hook up with people. I mean, just meeting, like, different people. I'd meet, well, just guests. And, you know, you'd meet some super, super charismatic, handsome person, and you'd be sitting there laughing, and you'd be in costume, and then they'd be like, what are you guys doing after? You yeah, know, what do the we, characters? What, we, what do these characters do next? And there was a restaurant, and there were bars down the street that they would let us after work go to. So you just take, change all your clothes, and you know, yeah. blow dry your hair, and go. Yeah. Now I'm 25 again, and I'd walk down there, and and um, and it was New Year's Eve every day. It was New Year's you Eve. So bang you the vomited, guests. you vomited every day, and lost your virginity every day. <laughs> yes. What was the character's name? Pamelia. Pamelia Perkins. Pamelia. Pamelia Perkins. Of course, she's banging the guests two at a time. <laughs> it, I mean, for an actor at that time, I was making really good money and had full insurance. Everything had a car, rented a little house. You know, it was Having kind of plenty like of a, fun. It was. It was a beautiful Blow life. Blow drying your hair. It was a beautiful life. And then I got stir crazy with it, and that was just about when but the SNL you, thing happened. But, but, but how, does, so how does that happen? How do they find you? It how was, do they find it you? was a beautifully random Amazing thing. I had worked with SAC Theater. They had a, a theater downtown. They uh, would call me every so often, and I'd go do a set with them where I'd, I'd do a character that I had written. And so they said, you know, we're going to do this sketch comedy pilot called Chucklehead. And they said, will you be in it and do those characters? And I said, sure. I mean, I was doing like I got beat up in America's Most Wanted. You know, all the local, all the things that were shooting in Orlando I would do, you know. And I did this lottery character for years in about three states that was uh, – played the Wurlitz Org and, you know, sexy characters, Alec, you know, (laughs) but (laughs) all from the matron handbook. I was born at 50, Alec, but um, they called me, my agent called me one day and she said, are you sitting down? I said, yes. She said, Saturday Night Live saw that pilot and Lauren wants to meet you. And I'm like, okay, for what? And she goes, now it is not an audition. But he wants to fly you up and talk to you. And I'm like, well, what is it? 
an orgy? <laughs> right, right. Am I being summoned? It's for Mickey a, Mouse. It's, it's Pleasure like, Island. What in the F? And I said, okay. And so I flew <laughs> up there. He was two hours, you know, or three hours late for, yes. for the meeting. But he was super nice. And I sat with Marcy Klein and Ayala in the talent room. And I was so nervous that they ordered food and they said, um, we're ordering Zen Palette, you know, vegetarian. We're ordering Zen Palette. Do you want anything? And I said, just a, just like a cup of white rice would yeah. be good. Just yeah. like rice. <laughs> and I just got a dry cup of white rice and sat and ate it. I went in and he said, we have just cleaned house. It was 95. It was when Will Ferrell and everybody came. He said, we've cleaned house. We're starting over. You know, it's going to rise again. We're hoping and we're going to try to infuse it with new talent. And uh, we would like to hire you to be a writer. And I was like, oh, well, I've never done that. I, you know, I don't even, I mean, I didn't even use a computer at that point. And I said, I can't, you know. And if you tell them you can't, then they will, <laughs> you will right. keep saying, well. And he said, well, we'll show you, you know. No, we have people for that. But it was so quick that it made me worry that there was something wrong. Like there was a scam or something like this was right. all some kind of freaking joke because I, I was like, this can't be. And How so, soon after that were you moving to New York? Um, I had five days to move. Packed up my whole life, gave my animals to my mom temporarily. Said farewell to Pleasure Island. Went up to New York City and, um, you know, just was just ungodly miserable and, I mean, with fear. But Mike Shoemaker called me right before I left because I was starting to freak out to the point of going, I'm going to my dream place. I mean, I was obsessed with SNL when I was little. I used to audio tape it. I used to perform Roseanne, Rosanna Dana for my high school in the auditorium. And I thought, I'm just going to be sitting around with like, you know, 10 Harvard dudes looking at me going, who hired Kathy Bates light? And, you know, <laughs> and why is she here? And I adore Kathy Bates, by the way. Yeah. But they were just, you know, I thought they, I would be so not of their world of these writerly sort of people. And I didn't realize how many writers there are performers. And so Shoemaker called me, and I still uh, thank him for this because he really is the reason that I ended up getting the balls to get there. But he called and he said, some people want to say hi. And it was, you know, Cindy Caponera and Lori Nasso and all these people that were new that were terrified. And they all got on the phone going, we can't wait to meet you. And I hung up the phone and I just burst into tears. I said, it's all going to uh, be okay, no matter what. It's going to be okay. And it was. It's just a group of people. It's almost like of all the years of doing plays, it's like it's a new cast. And that's you're, 17 you're years ago. You're getting in a cast. 17 years I've been there, yep. 17. And How's it changed? Well, one of the biggest things that's changed in general to me is the Internet because – when I was growing up and you were an actor, you had to create a body of work by really doing it and getting hired, and then they would give you access to tape of it. You know, you, you couldn't just go on machines and videotape yourself and make a beautifully edited, great comedy piece and put that on the Internet. I mean, it's, it out you just can't do it. The Internet has changed things profoundly. Yeah, it just it, – and I think in, in a bad way, it gave people a sense of entitlement of there isn't as much awe of all of it because they do it themselves. So it's like, oh, yeah, I have – you know this, and I've done. Themselves. I've done my show. You know they create it themselves, which is very empowering and wonderful. And it's also getting a lot more comedy out there of hilarious people that would never usually walk into a room but nervous in an audition. Right, right. But that's rare. Right. So that, that seems to me to have been the condition for me, which is uh, I'd come to SNL and um, the signals that I picked up in 1990, Jan Hooks and all that crowd mm -hmm. back then, was you know my career wasn't that. 
iconic to send up me and my career. And so it's not like I'm Stallone or Schwarzenegger or something like that where we do that. So you come in and right away you pick up, I've got to become like everybody else and become a member of the company. Right, right. And as soon as I got that, as soon as I kind of picked up that vibe from them, I was, you know, asked to come back and come back and come back. And what it does is, for me as a performer, it's killed everything else that's supposed to be funny. And I wonder what that's like for you where you're in the world where you work with the funniest people. No matter what people say about SNL, you know, it's not always going to work. But when it works, it's, I still think it's the best. What's it been like for you? Well, you get so, you get so insul- you know, isolated there in, in great ways and, and weird ways because it's, there's nothing like it. You cannot compare that experience with anything. But it really is so intense. And, you, you know, I started writing movies two years ago. And working into that, I realized how stretched out the time is to the point where, you know, I mean, we'll go between dress and air and Lauren will say, I don't like the whole top of that. Like add, you know, a couple yeah. new jokes. So you're, you're coming up with new jokes at 11.15. And- so let, me, let me just put a finer point on that for our radio audience because um, that SNL does a full dress rehearsal at 8 o'clock on Saturday night with an audience with a lengthier show. And they're going to pick what worked best, and then they're going to rewrite. So when that finishes at 10, maybe 10.15, maybe 10.30, who knows? If it's a long show. If it's a long show. And then you've got an hour where you're sitting in a room, and in that hour between shows, that's when Lorne and the producers and the writers edit that show and choose what they're going to do and ask for rewrites. And they're getting rid of that audience. They're bringing in a new one. The, The band is warming up the new audience. And you'll walk through and have a task to change something, and you're walking by these people that are walking in to their seats looking like, I'm so excited I'm here. And you're like, I don't know what we're going to have for you, but we're going to do it right now. You know, I'm pretty sure that (laughs) if like Dr. Oz did my actual age, you know how they test you on your actual, (laughs) I'm probably 180 now because of the stress of that. It's just such adrenaline and, you know, but I mean, the beautiful thing about SNL is hosts will come in and, and, you know, never you because you were always very approachable. But, like, you know, hosts will come in with their people, and, yes. and they're very nice and very scared. But stand over there, But they, they have a little bit of that sometimes because they're fearful, and they have people protecting sure. them. And by the end of the week, they're just always at that after party. You know, they're sitting with everybody and laying across yeah. everybody because it feels like theater. It feels it's like I'm, I'm in theater camp, and this is what I miss doing. In a minute, Paula Pell shares her plans for retirement. I want to go live the lesbian life. I want to be on a lesbian farm. I want to wear my dance go clogs. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. 
We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. My guest, Paula Pell, has been writing sketches at Saturday Night Live for almost two decades. She no longer works full-time on the show. Lately, she's branched into both TV and film comedies as well. Even still, Pell admits that on some days, she wants to curl up on the couch and watch something, well, not funny. Oh, my God, yeah. Well, you just I want mean, to watch my, you know, my, the sorrow and the pity. No, my, my gal of 14 years, she watches a lot of TV, and she watches shows that I wouldn't— generally watch like Castle or, you know, like Hawaii Five-O or like Murder, <laughs> she and she, I mean, um, you know, Murder Shows, CSI, uh, NCIS, she'll watch all, she'll tape, she'll tape all these shows in like elementary, all these new shows, and I'll, I'll get totally hooked on things and realize that I just love, I always loved having drama and comedy together. I mean, that's the fun thing about writing movies now is you can have a moment that's just a heart-wrenching moment in a comedy that's that's real, you know, that feels more three-dimensional. Because after 17 years of sketches, you do get a little stir-crazy with yeah. feeling like you're just writing something on, on the surface. I mean, it's great to make people laugh. But when I go home, I, I love to watch dramas or some reality things. I love to just not think about comedy too yeah, much. I, mean, I, I, I do the show and I go out there and it's really um, 
and I'll say, I'm never doing this again. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Yeah. I can't be bothered with this hosting this These ridiculous show. These people are show. too young. These people are all young and they're all crazy and they're all puerile and all they talk about is farts and brassiers and so forth. It's and beneath then, me. <clears throat> it's beneath, I'm going to go do as you like it in the park. Then, of course, you know, Lauren calls me. I'm like, nah, okay. Oh, yeah. Or he'll call me like I get thrown off the plane on American Airlines for, for playing words with friends. The phone rings like uh, three, four days later. It's Lauren. And he literally, he literally, he literally goes, so perhaps we should do something. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you people are insane. This like, would be yeah, the week. Yeah. He said, this, that's it. <laughs> this would be the week. This would be the week. You know, it's like that thing where we have to do it now. Now, now you are, you left to do a television show. I left about six years ago to do uh, – I wrote a pilot called Thick and Thin that was about two fat sisters that grew up fat and one gets really hot and thin and beautiful. Who was and it for? NBC. For NBC. Yeah. We shot the pilot. It got picked up for like 13, but it was a bad year for multi-camera sitcoms. It was kind of when they were getting phased out, and it was also about a subject that was a little weird still back in that – era of, you know, there wasn't a whole bunch of stuff with weight stuff. And I really wanted, like, real people that look fat, you know, that look fat, because yeah. I had struggled with my weight all my life and lost huge amounts of weight a couple times in my life. The process of developing a, sh a network show like that is so hard. And sure. I really, in hindsight, learned so, you know, learned so many things after the fact. You know, What's I one thing you learned that you can say? What'd you learn? Um, well, the biggest thing I learned was I'm a people pleaser, and I always like to get to know people and see the good sides of them. And I wanted to have a lot of positive energy with the, with them because I had known so many people that developed stuff that were like, welcome to hell. But I befriended everyone so intensely, you know, especially like network people and everything. I befriended everyone. So then there was this sort of discomfort at telling them things they didn't want to hear or me pushing back in bigger ways. Right. And so, because I had already established that we're all just friends and we're all having fun yeah. and we're laughing. Then they would suggest things that were just show ruining. And I would just be like, okay, well, you know, and I, I just at the time didn't really have my voice as a as a creative person to lead something like that, you know. Right. So I, I regret that, and I regret not um, pushing more. I mean, casting was, you know, a little brutal just because of the weight thing, is they would they would bring people in that were, I wanted real people that were, you know, I wanted the other sister to, be, the to be a real heavy person. And, and when they'd audition heavy people, sometimes I'd watch their faces when they're auditioning them, and they're kind of like looking at their bodies, and I'm going, this is not good. They, they don't get it that, like, the, you know, Roseanne was friggin' huge hit show. It's like, come on. I don't even remember who said this to me, but one of the network people pulled me aside during one of the castings, and she said, did you audition this other girl for that part, for the heavy sister? And I said, no, I auditioned her for the thin sister. And she said, you couldn't pad her, could you? And I just remember walking away going, this is so dead in the water. You know? yeah. Now, movies. You're doing a movie now. Yeah, I did. I worked a little bit on Bridesmaids. I just came a couple different times and just, you know, pitched jokes on the set, did that kind of thing. Had never done anything movie-wise ever. And I really, really had fun doing it. I really enjoyed it. And then I uh, Judd started hiring me to do some rewrites on different movies and punch-ups and stuff. 
and then last summer I worked on my first full movie experience with This Is 40. I was the executive producer on that. I've finally kind of gotten my foothold in the movie thing now, and it's like it. really fun. I really love it. I mean, it's a right lot people. of it's a yeah. lot of waiting around for news on things. It's a lot of you know I can't plan anything because you don't know what your next year is going to be. Stressful until in a different you find way. Out. But so beautiful to be able to work at home with my animals and D and just like. To be, you, you know, are a homebody, aren't you? Well, you always come back to the same thing when I've spoken to you. When yeah. you left, I was despondent when you left because you know it was, you were such a great, you're such a great writer. You're one of my Thank favorite you, writers Alan. of all time. You're so sweet. funny. No, I but I really mean that. But, and and you, uh, and then when you left and, and you said the same thing, you're like, oh, I just want to go home to D and my animals. My animals. Oh, my animals. I want to go live the lesbian life. I want to be on a lesbian farm. I want to wear my dansko clogs. I want to get a, a mag light and go under a dumpster and get some feral cats out of there. <laughs> uh, I I have a horse up there. I have, you know, just it's so beautiful and inexpensive up there at the Hudson Valley. It's, it's like an amazing place. But also um, just I'm realizing, too, just the the finite amount of time. You know, I've, I've spent more time since I've been doing the movie stuff the last two years. I've spent more time <clears throat> with my family. I've been down in Florida a lot to visit them. It's just feeling so much better for me. And also I love, like, Lauren, whenever I'm there, I did the Louis C.K. show, and I'm, I'm doing this uh, next two here. And, you know, Lauren will say to me, it's still fun, right? It's fun. You had fun. And I go, oh, my God, it, it's amazing. It but if I did it all the time now, I would be like a, you know, a bitter hag because I just feel like I wasn't having time or energy to do other things. And also everyone is is very young. I mean, my nieces and nephews I saw delivered out of my sister's uh, vagine and they are in their mid-20s and one's a physician's yeah. oh, assistant. Nice. And one's a, I mean, I've named myself at SNL Nanny SNL because I'll sit at the rewrite table like, yeah. what is the name of that? Yeah. Who's that detective on yeah. television? I'm like... I call myself Grandpa. Oh, my God. I got, you know? Grandpa, they'll knock on the door and say, we're ready. I'm like, Grandpa, will be right there. It'll be right there, God damn it. But if you have a good night there, you feel like you're 20 again. I mean, you know, you, if you have no, a I night like where... You feel like, I mean, last week I had a really fun sketch I wrote with Kate McKinnon. I just went home on that old school SNL high, yeah. just a whole high, you know, sure. like the whole weekend just bouncing off the walls. And then you start going, maybe I could do this all the time. Like, it's sure. like, no, get, I'm going to do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna be, gonna, I would leave there on a, after a good show. I'd leave there and say, I'm going to be a cast <laughs> edition. Now, Twitter, you kill me on Twitter. Thank you. You talk I, about like I was laying on a bed and I was having a great time and I was eating snacks and I was really cozy and everything was just, I felt so great. And then security guard came up and said to me, you know, Target is closed, man. You know, it's like the Tony Bennett routine. People always really respond to my Target tweets. Twitter is just another forum for you. Twitter is really, I got people. very addicted to it just because it's so simple and it's like a video game for comedy writers it to is. just do a one-liner about something. And yeah. I started doing these uh, Hey Young Girl tweets. I know, and, no, no, yeah. I love and it. I might do a little book of them maybe um, and illustrate it. You know, my nieces, I just used to drive them insane when they were growing up because I was so Give protective. Give an example. You said that we were thinking, hey, girls, I remember. Um, hey, young girls, keep your boobs in your shirt, your butt in your pants, your eyes on your dreams, <laughs> your head in the cloud, you know, but like you, that But kind you of also thing. say the thing about, you know, if the guy does this, 
Yeah. What, 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 I remember reading um, The Hey Young Girl stuff just came out of my nieces because I would bring them to SNL, and they were just these drop-dead gorgeous girls, and they would have people— I'm not talking about people just checking them out, but, like, at the if I brought them backstage or whatever, there'd be some, some dude that would just end up coming up and saying— you know, really aggressive checking them out. And so they still imitate me, how I would grab them with my meaty Polish farm wife arm <laughs> and go, she's 14, you want to talk about it? I mean, no. I would just become this raving, crazy woman looking at them like, get, you know, and so th- I've chaperone. always, I'd always be like, are you sexually active? I would always right. want to know all their details yeah. and everything. Like a character out of a Rock Hudson movie. Yeah. You're it, the chaperone. Of yeah, the I'm the chaperone business. that's, that's uh, scurrying here. my son away from the hoochie, the hoochie dancers. It's ironic that Paula Pell has thrived in the notoriously cutthroat culture of SNL. You get a sense that she is, by nature, a maternal figure, often encouraging up-and-coming comedy writers. Like I've always said about SNL, it's like the the funny rises to the top with it, and if somebody's super funny and has abandon and joy and they're not trying— You know, I don't like ever with a comedy person them acting like someone else or acting dirty just to be funny. I'm the filthiest person on earth, but if it's not funny, dirty— I can vouch for that. If I'm not being funny, dirty, you know, then forget it because there's (laughs) got to be some class to my— to my uh, vulva joke. If a vulva joke does not have a, a class to it, then forget it. But, you know, for a while there, some auditions I would watch where girls would come out and just try to just sex it up and be funny and dirty, you know, and it's like, that's well, not with funny. with women, you feel like not all of them, certainly, but enough of them. They go out in front of a camera, a lot of them in the comedy world, and they think, feel like, well, I don't want to go too far over this line because I don't want to lose this other right, thing. Right. I, I really would like to kiss Leo in a movie. Right. I want to be, as you much as I think you that You don't want to see anyone <clears throat> thinking too hard while they're, you know, the the greatest auditions at SNL were people that came in purely as themselves, came in, did a bunch of crazy ass characters, and you just went, this is a force of nature. What is this? What is this human? Like, they are making me laugh so hard, and I don't even know what where they're getting it from. Women have that the condition, though, where it's like, it's like they sit there and they, you know, I mean, I've seen women who they would make fun of actresses. I mean, I'm talking mm-hmm. about comedy women. Yeah. They would just tear apart, they would lacerate uh, actresses who they thought were, you know, leaning too much on the sex button. Mm-hmm. And then those comedy actresses became stars and they popped another button and they put the, the makeup on their cleavage and they were right. like, and they were just like, they were camera ready. I mean, they became the thing they made fun of. Yeah. And, and, you, and you realize for women, that's a tough angle. You know what I mean? Comedy, the, comedy girls tended to grow up being the goofy looking, you know, the goofy looking ones that weren't getting the attention that yeah. way. So when they become famous and have a lot of uh, money and people putting beautiful dresses on them. Yeah, I think they do changes. go. They do go that way. You know. I mean, I've got a lot of pretty sparkly pantsuits I wear to the Emmys now, and I really get up my own ass on it. <laughs> <laughs> Paula Pell is working on a few side projects, but as a fan, I hope that Paula doesn't give up her night job and has another seventeen years of sketch writing ahead of her. Thanks, sugar. This is Alec Baldwin. You can hear more conversations in our archive, from Nobel Prize-winning economists to NFL quarterbacks. They are the apex of physical freaks. You know, there are some guys that, that are 300 pounds that are running faster than, you know, running... Than your high school running back. Yeah. Listen to more at heresthething.org. Here's the Thing is produced by Emily Botine and Kathy Russo with Chris Bannon, Jim Briggs, 
Wendy Dore, Ed Herbstman, Melanie Hoops, Monica Hopkins, Trey Kay, Sharon Mashihi, and Lou Okowski. Thanks to Larry Josephson and the Radio Foundation. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee visit rightrug.com that's r-i-t-e-r-u-g.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you 24-month financing is available with approved credit for 90 years we've been right here right now right rug flooring If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.